When HBO's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction special airs on Saturday, November 7th, it will have been nearly 300 days since the class of 2020 was announced. Indeed, we've lived with these inductees for quite some time, and now we finally pay tribute to them. I'm Troy L. Smith, you're listening to CLE Rocks, and here is our in-depth look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's diverse class of 2020. This year's class begins, at least alphabetically, with Depeche Mode, unquestionably one of the greatest and most important electronic bands of all time. Depeche Mode formed in the late 1970s and instantly made waves in the UK with the release of its debut album, Speak and Spell. Virtually every album that followed, Depeche Mode would break ground, peaking with an incredible run of three masterful albums with 1986's Black Celebration, 1987's Music for the Masses, and 1990's Violator. Depeche Mode were pioneers of modern electronic music, synth and goth pop, influenced the likes of The Killers, Arcade Fire, and Coldplay. But the band's impact would reach beyond the obvious genres, inspiring hard rock and metal artists such as Marilyn Manson, Deftones, and fellow inductee Nine Inch Nails. Greg Harris, president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, says Depeche Mode's influence becomes more obvious as time goes on. They aren't the creators of synth pop. They are they're a, a band that has with such broad appeal has has impacted so many, but they're also, you know, I I think that at their core they take elements of, of swamp rock and, and blues and, and goth and synth and mash it all together in a really powerful, refreshing way. And, and anybody that, that's wondering about them, it would serve them well to go back and listen. And they are, um, you know, they're giants if you talk to um, more current bands. Doobie Brothers are what some may consider the typical classic rock band to join this year's class, but the Doobie's career was anything but ordinary. The band's self-titled debut album, released in 1971, was unconsequential, but things changed on the next go-around. 1972's Toulouse Street would put the Doobies on the map on the strength of songs like Listen to the Music and Jesus is Alright. Things would only get bigger from there. 1973's The Captain and Me would perfect the Doobie Brothers' blistering guitar and dual drum sound. Popular hits like Long Train Runnin' and China Grove would become mainstays on rock radio. The Doobies were dubbed the Sound of America, and in 1974, the band went to number one with the hit Blackwater. Frontman Tom Johnston would leave the Doobie Brothers in 1977, causing doubt in the band's future, but the uncertainty wouldn't last long. Michael McDonald, previously a member of Steely Dan's touring band, would replace Johnston and push the Doobie Brothers to even greater heights. 1978's Minute by Minute would go multi-platinum, cementing the Doobies as superstars, with the single What a Fool Believes earning the 1980 Grammy Awards for both Song and Record of the Year. With Johnson back in the band, the Doobie Brothers are still going strong, having released live from the Beacon Theater just last year. The band doesn't show any signs of slowing down anytime soon, says Sirius XM Classic Vinyl host Catherine Boyd. Well, the Doobie Brothers have been around forever. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary. They were supposed to be on a 50th 
anniversary tour right now that's been postponed. Um, so I kind of feel like they're one of those workhorse bands that have been around so long that they have, you know, proven themselves as a true rock and roll band, and that's why they're getting in. There has truly never been a band quite like Nine Inch Nails in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what happens when you help pioneer industrial rock. Founded in Cleveland, Trent Reznor's band put industrial rock on the map in the late 1980s with the release of Pretty Hate Machine. The independent album's impressive sales became a huge breakthrough for industrial rock which Rock Hall CEO Greg Harris compares to the rise of hip-hop. It's like Run DMC taking hip-hop to the masses and, and, and the Beastie Boys taking it to the masses. That's the magnitude of Nine Inch Nails. Is unwavering in his vision for the band. They took it out of the shadows and into the mainstream. Pretty Hate Machine was Reznor's coming out party. The downward spiral was his magnum opus. The album, which pushed the boundaries of industrial and alternative rock in general, made Reznor one of the faces of rock music during the 1990s. A series of iconic music videos and epic live performances, including Nine Inch Nails' Mud Soak Showcase at Woodstock 94, would follow. Struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, Reznor would eventually get sober, releasing a diverse array of projects well into the 21st century. Following the release of 2008's Ghosts 1-4, through 4, Reznor would turn his focus, along with collaborator Atticus Ross, to film scores. Both won an Oscar for David Fincher's 2010 movie, The Social Network. So there was a, a side of my music with Nine Inch Nails that was going very instrumental and soundtrack-ish. So it wasn't a huge leap um, in terms of... It wasn't a giant stretch for me to, to try this. I mean, it was interesting to have to work with picture and really serve the picture. And that was the biggest challenge, really, working under someone who's very smart, David Fincher, had a very clear idea of what he wanted. And it was a, an education. And as I said earlier, it was a real... Um, pleasant, one of, the, one of the best experiences I've had from start to finish. Nine Inch Nails enters the Rock Hall in its third nomination, eligible since 2015. Still, for Adam Steiner, author of Into the Never, Nine Inch Nails and the Creation of the Downward Spiral, the band's induction is overdue. It's kind of about time. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think they've been nominated twice before, if I'm not mistaken, which is amazing, you know, to be nominated and not get in, especially after like, you know, your um, let's say second album proper Downward Spiral, you know, sells like four or five million copies and it's perhaps like one of the darkest most challenging but popular music records ever made um that they could sort of pass that over and obviously he's still a really vital and engaging artist perhaps now is the best time to acknowledge him when he's really really at his peak Rock Hall's class of 2020 has just one first ballot Hall of Famer, and it is the notorious B.I.G. The rap icon, real name Christopher Wallace, would see his legend grow both as a drug dealer and MC on the streets of Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood. Things changed in 1992 when the notorious B.I.G. would be featured in the Source magazine's Unsigned Hype column, highlighting promising young rappers. The article in Biggie's demo tape would catch the ear of then-Uptown Records A&R Sean Puffy Combs. Combs would part ways with Uptown forming his own label, Bad Boy Records, bringing the Notorious B.I.G. along as its centerpiece. The move would pay off with a series of standout guest appearances. Oh. Oh. 
Niggas is mad, I get more butt than ass trains. The fair one, I get mine the fast way. And the release of Biggie's now iconic debut, Ready to Die, in 1994. Biggie's star would continue to rise into the second half of the 1990s. He would become the face of New York hip hop, placing him at the center of the infamous East Coast West Coast feud with Suge Knight's Death Row Records and former friend Tupac Shakur. Shakur would be murdered in September 1996. Biggie's murder would follow in March 1997. Both crimes remain unsolved. Two and a half weeks after his death, the Notorious B.I.G. sophomore album, Life After Death, would debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. His first two singles, Hypnotize and Mo Money Mo Problems, would also land at number one. B.I.G. P.O. P.P.A. No info for the D.E.A. Federal agents mad cause I'm flagrant. Tap myself and the phone in the basement. David Mays, the editor of Source Magazine at the time Biggie died, would speak about the rapper after his death. I would want him uh, to be remembered as, uh, you know, one of the most talented and uh, gifted artists of his time and uh, one of the biggest, you know, stars to come out of uh, hip-hop. T-Rex might be the least known of this year's inductees, at least in the United States. But the band, led by visionary Mark Bolin, may also be the most influential. By pioneering glam rock, Bolin would influence everyone from the Ramones and New York Dolls to David Bowie and R.E.M. Critically acclaimed albums like 1971's Electric Warrior and its follow-up, 1972's The Slider, would prove monster records in the U.K., pushing T-Rex to a massive level of popularity, says Sirius XM's Boyd. T-Rex. Kind of in America, we almost think of them as a one-hit wonder with, uh, you know, get it on, bang a gun. But in the U.K., in, you know, the early 70s, they were as popular as the Beatles. I mean, they were they were huge in the U.K. And, of course, they're kind of the band credited with creating glam rock, which led, uh, led to uh, so many other awesome, cool bands, you know, the New York Dolls, the Ramones. Using the Banshees, one of my favorites um, from my college era, the Smiths, the Pixies. So they were super influential um, to, you know, what came after them. T-Rex would go on to make another handful of polarizing yet forward-thinking albums in the years that followed. However, Bolin was killed in a tragic car accident in 1977. His funeral was attended by Rod Stewart, David Bowie, T-Rex's producer Tony Visconti, and other prominent music figures. Bolin would be remembered for his influence on music, fashion, and guitar playing for the likes of Sue and the Banshees, Johnny Marr, and Jane's Addiction frontman Perry Farrell, who cites T-Rex's albums as a major influence. Honestly, the influence is massive. I listen very, very intently to the way Tony produced Mark. And I still apply uh, his production techniques to, to everything that I do. So what, what he was great at, Tony, was taking parts and minimalizing it, not over-saturating the track with, with uh, everybody's parts, but each time that was needed, as an example, an electric guitar could be applied, obviously, to a certain area, a certain part part of the song. But then 
after that, it would go away, and it could be it could turn into an acoustic guitar, and then same with the voice, lead voice would be there, and then of course the chorus will come. There'll be more voices, but then those voices would disappear, and everything was it was almost like Bauhaus, so everything had a place or haiku, nothing no, no excess. Everything was simple, but all came together, kind of like, in my mind, it's the way Joy Division sounds. There was no wasted notes. It was, and so as a result, what you get is an egoless production. There are stars, there are superstars, and then there is Whitney Houston. The pop singer, considered by many to be one of the greatest vocalists of all time, came from humble beginnings, singing gospel music in her church choir, to signing a worldwide contract with Clive Davis's Arista Records at the age of 19. Houston's 1985 self-titled debut album would prove a massive success right out the gate, with chart-topping singles Saving All My Love For You, the upbeat dance hit How Will I Know, and of course, The Greatest Love Of All. The album's follow-up, 1987's Whitney, would prove just as big, spawning four more number one singles, including Didn't We Almost Have It All, So Emotional, and I Want to Dance with Somebody. While there may have been doubts as to whether or not Houston could top her output from the 1980s, those ideas were put to rest with the release of The Bodyguard. Houston would star in the film and turn its soundtrack into one of the greatest selling albums of all time. Driven by I Will Always Love You, Houston would reflect on her success at the 1991 Billboard Music Awards. It means, you know, that um, the people uh, love you and that they uh, um, respect what you do. you know, uh, they're loyal, you know, that always helps. Um, but it is, it's about the people. And um, that's what I vibe on, you know, the people um, uh, sticking with me. And, and, and when I go and do, sh- do concerts, you know, uh, the people, you know, it's about, you know, touching and give and take and stuff. So it's about people. It's an indescribable feeling, you know, it's like a surge of energy. It's like um, just taking off and just flying, you know. When, they, when I see them and the people and they're, excited and they're you know there and they're into it and everything i mean it gives you a lot of energy and a lot of encouragement and that's great following the bodyguard houston would release five more multi-platinum projects and star in several more films houston's marriage to fellow pop star bobby brown would become the subject of tabloid fodder the pop diva while troubled would remain a huge draw her death just one day before the grammy awards in 2012 would lead to a huge outpouring of love and adoration that included from gospel stars mary mary who remembered houston as a -a one-of-a-kind talent that influenced virtually every male and female pop singer that came after. To the music industry, Whitney meant um, pure talent, true, raw, as she said, talent. A voice Um, that can't be compared to 
anyone else. Someone who can stand on stage without great lighting, without any kind of production, without anything except herself and a mic and make the world listen. Yes. Who does that nowadays? Right. You, you can't she, find it. She changed it. the way we sing the Star Spangled Banner. Right. Like no one will ever sing it the same after hearing her sing it with all that heart and all that passion and all that feeling. And it's something that we all aspire to do as artists ourselves. The Rock Calls Class of 2020 will be inducted during a special airing November 7th on HBO and HBO Max. Originally set for a live show at Cleveland's Public Auditorium, the special was pre-taped due to the coronavirus. Longtime music managers and producers Irving Azoff and John Landau will be inducted as Ahmet Erdogan Award honorees. Audio recordings for this podcast were provided by Getty Images and interviews conducted by Cleveland.com. Thank you for listening to CLE Rocks. I'm Troy L. Smith. Until next time. <laughs>